Welcome to Necromaniacs, everyone. I hope everyone's doing well. This week, we have a special guest. My uh, co-host on Everything Went Black, Unholy Passion, among other things. Ralph Schmidt, how are you doing? Um, I'm fine, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah, this is great. From time to time, uh, we're going to have you know some guest co-hosts and interviews and things like that. Currently looking into... Um, some of these independent filmmakers that we've uh, reviewed movies by and, um, you know, trying to get those guys on board, too. But, uh, you know, every now and then it's nice to have a change of pace, invite someone on. Ralph and I have been friends for, it seems like, uh, decades at this point. Um, Ralph is also, the you know, the main man behind Ulta and uh, Ropes of Night, two excellent bands and over the years, Ralph has been um, a co-host on various episodes of Everything Went Black, as well as my former uh, employer, uh, Gimme Metal's Metal Matters podcast, which uh, subsequently I have, a, I have left that position, and it's taken over by Fred Passaro and Mike Berdan, and they're rocking and rolling into the future. But today, Ralph and I are going to have this kind of crossover. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, uh, that's am basically I, it. Yeah, man. Am I, am I like a triple crown champion for Mike Hill podcasts now? It's like, <laughs> because I've been on every episode, like everything you do. Yeah. Um, no, man, I'm super stoked. I, I always listen to Necro and I want to give a shout out to the other Mike and Jeff. Like you guys are always doing such a great job and gave me so many cool movies so I'm excited to be part of this and now also ex like not talk about music for once, but more talk about movies. Um, uh, so stoked. Yeah, no, nah, this is great. So uh, for today's episode, we're actually kind of going back to the old school Necro 2 movie format. And um, this uh, episode, we're going to be talking about life and the Russian film Sputnik. And the reason why is because both films cover common ground. So we're going to sort of I guess compare and contrast these two films, uh, talk about things we liked, talk about things we didn't like. And uh, both of these movies were brought to you by uh, a big studio. They both were distributed by Sony, so they're, they're pretty easy to find out there. So, uh, so yeah. Yeah, and when we're talking about the, the 2017 life, the trapped in space sci-fi horror movie, not the Eddie Murphy movie from 1999. That's a good point. Yeah, I forgot about the Eddie Murphy film. <laughs> but uh, before we kick things off, we're just going to, you know, typically uh, every week we talk about stuff that we checked out that was new or interesting or things we revisited. So has there been anything uh, that, you know, we, we need to know about what you've been listening to, watching or reading, Ralph? Um, so, yeah, first of all, I got that uh, Thomas Ligotti book you suggested and I started diving into this. Um, got the first three short stories down and really like it. Yeah. The first one, you know, it's funny. Uh, a lot of that stuff I read before uh, True Detective, but uh, when, you know, because a lot of people are, are, they just, you know, want to be hipsters about it and say that Nick Pizzolatto is just a ripoff of whatever Thomas Ligotti. I don't, I don't think so. Cause they, they never read any of, any of um, Pizzolatto's other work which has nothing, yeah. nothing to do with, like, pessimism or, you know, the kind of cosmic um, existential dread that Ligotti delves into. But that yeah. first, the first, the first um, 
short story in that collection. I, I, when I reread it, I was like, man, a lot of this reminds me of um, the character, uh, what was his name, Errol, the guy, the guy who ended up uh, being the murderer. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this fascination with, uh, you know, young young kids and pedophilia and all that sort of stuff and you know yeah there are there are yeah, things about it like when i revisit it where i see the similarities yeah it's definitely a good read and like some of the stories remind me more of like a you know a bonfire horror story you know it's pretty easy and it's like more like it's a bit scary not really like dark and heavy but some stories are just fucking great and like really like psychological so yeah, that's definitely like a good good call you had, and uh, enjoying this. Yeah. I um I finished up this uh, hard sci-fi novel called uh, Blind Sight uh, by Peter Watts, and um mm-hmm. you know a friend of mine you know shout out to, uh, to to Chris up in Boston for turning me on to this uh, writer. It's a relatively new one, and I I mentioned on the last episode that I've never really been deeply into hard sci-fi, but this one, uh, yeah, it's got a lot of action, a lot of, you know, spaceships and robots and things like that, but it, it it operates on this philosophically bleak, uh, level that, that really, uh, resonated with me. There's like a lot of discussion about consciousness, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, uh, there's a vampire involved, you know, so it kind of leans a little bit into horror. And uh, so that's like, I highly recommend that to anyone out there who wants to get into like a, uh, you know, some sort of horror slash hard sci-fi, technically dense uh, read. So that that's a, you know, a recommendation. And, that sounds um, good. And Mike and I were talking about uh, this novel, or it's actually not a novel, it's a nonfiction, this book called Manhunter. Um, that's, uh, I bought it from the Anya Offensive. Uh, Mike and I were talking about how that label has been selling books on their website, and I wasn't aware yeah. of that, you know. Yeah, they're, they're doing it. Yeah. yeah, mostly like mostly like religious and like anti-religious, satanic and occult stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a a book about Sigurd Thurman, a uh, Swedish occult serial murder in Sala, Sweden. And um, I just, I literally just started it this morning. I read like the first thirty pages, uh, and it's cool. I mean, it's obviously uh, you know maybe the translation's a little little shaky because um, uh, you know that that's sometimes what you run into you know in, with these books yeah. that were not written in the English language and. Uh, I don't understand the native tongue in Sweden, so um, I'd have to read a uh, you know a translation of it. So far, so good. It's only 150 pages. Uh, it's got a lot of pictures in it, so I'll probably finish reading it either today or tomorrow. Yeah, I mean that's 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 kind of like the same problem that I. I mean, as a German, my first language is German, and I'm I'm thankfully able to speak English in a relative okay way, and. Um, so like most most I grew up like most American movies or general movies were dubbed. So like they had like shitty German sound. And I just remember like when I watched Seven the first time and then I watched it like the first time in English, how much Fincher plays with the sounds like that. The actual sounds are way louder than the spoken language. And in German, the dubbing is just super loud. So it's just pretty much just dialogues. 
And so seeing it the other way around, like one movie that we will talk about in a minute is it's like a Russian movie. And I watched it like dubbed in English and I watched it in German and then I watched it again in Russian with subtitles. And it just works best if you watch it with subtitles. Oh, yeah, so, man, I totally agree with that. I, I, um, I kind of get bummed out when they don't have subtitles available uh, because yeah. that's my preferred way of watching a, a film like a European film or a film from a different country. Yeah, see, and that, that brings me to the movie I rewatched. I, I suggested it to you, and you said you wanted to watch it. You never got back to me, and I'm curious if you saw it. The Golden Glove? Did... It's a, I have it. Uh, like, during the week, uh, sometimes it's hard for me to get to movies, so uh, just because yeah. I, I don't wrap things up till like, 8 or 9 o'clock at night sometimes. And, um, yeah. Or that would be, uh, you know, twenty hundred hours or twenty one hundred in European time. So uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I have it in my list because it's on Shutter, and I'm, I'm yeah. maybe I think this weekend I have a pretty clean clean uh, schedule, so I might I might try to check it out this weekend actually. Yeah, because when when you asked me if I wanted to be on Necro, and I thought about like, okay, so you always give these suggestions, like, okay, what can I offer that maybe something that wouldn't like appear on a like when you and Jeff or you and Mike talk. And I have like two things that I rewatched that are like European. And The Golden Glove is a German movie called Der Goldene Handschuh by Fatih Akin, which is like a director who won several prizes already. And it, uh, it's about Fritz Honka, a serial killer in the late 70s in Hamburg, Germany, uh, who killed a lot of women and... He's an absolute loser, and that film, like a lot of people left the cinema when they watched it because it grossed them out. It's really disgusting in a non-brutal way. It's just like it has like this filthy atmosphere to it, which is pretty cool because I know that's why I suggested it to you. You both and I were like fascinated with serial killer stuff, and I mean, we we all saw um, um, shit. What's it called? Manhunter? No, oh, yeah. like the yeah, yeah, it was. And like all the documentaries, so we know like the the look of the seventies America serial killer hunt, you know, Zodiac and all these movies. And now this place in the seventies in Germany and has a serial killer too, but it looks completely different because Europe just is completely different. And so I thought like that might be right up your alley because it's really disturbing, it's harsh, it's brutal, it's gritty, and very fucking bleak. Well, let's have you back on. I'll watch it this weekend, and we'll we'll do it. We'll do an episode on it. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, dude, sweet, always. What, what city does it take place in? Hamburg, Hamburg, oh, Germany. Oh, okay. Oh, so I, I've been there a bunch of times. Yeah, it's it's it pretty much plays in that circuit around the. You know, the, the era, uh, area where all the prostitutes work. So, like, for people that have never been to Hamburg or haven't heard about it, Hamburg is favorite because it's a favorite for its um, Red Mile. So, like, kind of like Amsterdam. It has, like, this huge area in the inner city with a lot of prostitution happening. And they have all these filthy bars, you know, like you have these strip bars, you have these sex bars, sex cinemas. And in, in between those are like these classic German bars where like the total losers and they just hang out there. So it's really about the bottom percentage of, of humanity that comes there 
lives has a shitty job, drinks their beer and their schnapps and like, you know, hard liquor all the time. No future, no hope. And one of these guys is really also disturbed and starts killing women. Yeah. That's uh, I believe St. Pauli is the, uh, the the district that you're referring to, yes. right? Yeah, that's very like, much accurate. Yes. Yeah, that, that, I remember all these like like hardcore punk types, uh, crust punk type people from Europe always had those St. Pauli like shirts with the skull on it. You know? Yeah, that's because the, that's a soccer team, and it's 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 a oh. second league German soccer team, and that's uh, pretty much the punk soccer team because they always play like in the bigger leagues. But it's the only one that's still true to the core, you know, like because it's it's yeah, it's it's a typical punk thing to wear St. Pauli because um, also a lot of cross punks and, and squatters live in that lived in that area, too, for a long time. Yeah. The first time I went to St. Not St. Pauli. Well, yeah, actually, I was in St. Pauli. But the first time I went to Hamburg was in the 90s on uh, when my old band was on tour at Fetus. We. Um, I think the first show was actually in Hamburg. And, okay. and I'm like, wow, this city reminds me of New York. It's like this dirty, grimy, you know, place. And, um, you know, we got off, we were on a bus. So I, I got off the tour bus and I, I went to go and get like a, you know, a kebab or something like that. And I noticed there was like these, uh, all these attractive women that, um, were hanging around in these like weird, one piece like suit like these like uh like snow suits because it was like winter yeah. when we went there and uh yeah Thurwell told me that oh yeah they're all hookers and <laughs> that's like the part <laughs> of town you were in and then after the show we went we all went into the the you know that area the red light area and that was the first yeah. time i'd ever seen anything like that yeah that's always it's it's interesting that uh when you have touring bands that they always end up going to these places it's also here in, in Cologne. We've had we we had it's it's bankrupt now. We had a gigantic brothel which had like eight stories or nine stories. It's like a hotel, and it's famous for having like a tranny floor. And so like a lot of bands that play like punk shows here were like, oh man, we have to go to that place. I want to see the tranny floor. And like, <laughs> how? Like, why do you? Like, I don't get it. Like, you're punk, but you want to go to like a brothel. Uh, it's weird, man. It's just, but yeah, like every every band at one point will end up in St. Pauli walking around there. But it's also it's pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, yeah, and you're you're right on the border of Holland, right? In uh, in Cologne. Yes, right, correct. Yeah, and yes. Holland, Holland are like the that that's where it's like they're the OGs of of uh, prostitution and brothels and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's yep, yep, yep. Every town it seems has like. You know, there's of course there's Amsterdam, Groningen, Groningen, Groningen. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Um, actually, I'm not going to mention this guy's name because some of you guys out there might know him. But on one of the tours that Tombs has did, done over in Europe, we ended up in uh, in Groningen, and um, this dude. I'm going to say that he's British. Okay, so that narrows it down a little bit. This <laughs> Brit, we were, he was drunk. It was part of a festival. His band had played the night before. He hung out, and we were wandering through the city. And um, he's like, oh, yeah, man, I fancy a shag. <laughs> so I was like, I'm like, oh, you know, good for you, man. Um, so then he's like, can you lend me 50 euros? <laughs> so I, I'm like, you know what, man? This, this is almost like a, a sociological experiment. So let me, I figured I just, I gave him the 50 euro that I had. 
And of course, he never paid me back. <laughs> and then, uh, and he was gone for like maybe three minutes, man. And I was like, "Damn, that's uh, you know, you, you, you know, you, you, what, you know, well, I don't, that was a, that was a really, really quick experience you had." <laughs> and then, uh, and that was it. So that that that's, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's definitely uh, culturally interesting. Um, that's not really my bag, honestly, you know, for all you yeah. w women out there, I'm not just trying to pander to your sensibilities. Uh, it's not, not for everyone, but it's definitely an interesting sociological thing, you know? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, 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 I'm making a broad assumption that any women listen to this at all, but you know, <laughs> dude, dude, don't be so judgmental. There was a lot of like, no, a bunch of girls who are into horror movies that are also into podcasts. Don't know if they necessarily listen to that special one here, but um, there are more women into horror movies. I've, I mean, I've been dating for a while, and it's always like a critical questions like, do you like horror movies? Yes or no? And uh, like, some of them do like it, and then it's like it's a cool topic to talk about. Oh no! I, I acknowledge the fact that there's many, many female horror fans out there, but I'm just saying, like yeah. the the Mike Hill group of of out <laughs> of like sort of content is very, very dude oriented. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't. I doubt that there are very many women that listen to any of these things I put out there. So anyway, oh. So let's get into this, man. Which one do you want to talk about first? And uh, you know. Um, I don't know. Like, I, let's start with Sputnik, maybe, because that's the one I saw yesterday. Okay. And, uh, I've I've seen it. Like, this it's it's still very fresh, and uh, I've seen life a bunch of times. And spoiler, I really like it. But like, let's get. I have more knowledge about that movie, so let's dive into Sputnik first. How is your uh, Russian pronunciations? I actually uh, have a Russian colleague, and uh, I asked him about it, if he'd seen that movie, and usually I say Sputnik, like the, the German version, like my grandfather always called me Sputnik, because it was that satellite back then. Right. So, of course, it's a science fiction horror movie about something in space, so I thought, okay, it's, it's about like that satellite. And then, um, then my colleague told me that no, actually, it's pronounced Sputnik, like with a long spoo. And um, the actual, like, let me check this. I forget. It's a, it's a Russian word for companion. Oh, interesting! Wow. Yes, All and, right. and it's it's even more interesting if you know that the director of this movie had a short film before that called The Passenger. He based the movie Sputnik on. And when we talk about this now, it will make total sense to know this. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That see that adds like a whole other level to this thing, a whole other layer of, of coolness. You know. Yeah. Um, so you, you also thought it was about the satellite, right? Um. All right. I I didn't think it was about the satellite just because I knew like I just based on the trailer that I watched, I I, I knew that there was like a manned space thing going on. Mm. So I. I didn't know what it was about. I mean, I didn't think it was about the satellite per se. Uh, and I assumed that like Sput Sputnik was a Russian word for something else. The same way that like, you know, in the United States, we have like Voyager or whatever, you know, these different yes. titles we give these, uh, you know, spacecraft and things like that. So, yeah. but I didn't know, I didn't realize that when, you know, in, in the, um, trailer before i started watching the movie i didn't realize that it took place in the 80s during the cold war which once yes. again 
adds another level of, of uh, interesting shit to this film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, before we get into the actual movie, let's just talk about the release and all that. So it was released April 23rd, 2020. So this movie is just a little bit over a year ago came out. And it was yep. uh, scheduled to premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival. But, you know, COVID-19 completely destroyed that. <laughs> and uh, no. as a result, it got a, a video on demand release. And uh, the, the running time of the film was 113 minutes long, which, you know, it's a little long for feature, you know, your typical 90-minute feature film. Yeah. Um, and it was distributed in the United States by Sony, which, uh, you know, is always a good thing if you're looking to get your film watched by the general population. Yeah. yeah. It's, that's what we talked about before. It's like uh, I was wondering that it was it's on Amazon Prime in Germany, which I'm like, okay, cool. So it's, it's also for free. So it's not a like it's one one of those movies you don't have to pay extra for and uh, actually comes with german english and the original russian dubbing so that's pretty pretty comfortable for amazon because usually they just put the movies on their streaming devices just in in german which sucks so um, that was cool yeah in, in the states you can watch it on hulu which um you know i've, I've seen this uh, this film twice so the first time i rented it like when it when it came out because i've been looking forward to it and uh and then more recently, I rented it. Or not rented it. I watched it on Hulu. So, mm -hmm. so directed by Igor Abramenko, written by mm -hmm. Oleg Malovishko, and Andrei Z Zolotarev. So yeah, oh man, anyone That's out a lot there? Of names to butcher, <laughs> dude. Anyone out there who uh, is Russian, you know, and there's a lot of Russian people here in the states. It's like <laughs> apologies. Like one of my one of my coworkers, Ilya. Um, it's funny. He uh, he's he's Amer he was born in the states, out in Queens, but his family are uh, you know immigrants from Russia, and even things like names. Like when, I, I actually I work with a lot of Russian people, and when when you when they say someone like another co coworker's name, the way they their pronunciation of even that name has no resemblance to the way you say that name it's insane yeah yeah it's it's i've got some polish colleagues and and it's the same that there's a discussion about the black metal band mugwa it's mm -hmm. always like mugla mugwa mugla everybody says it differently so i asked like a polish colleague to tell me how it's properly pronounced so at least now i know that but yeah it's always like because these languages are so different from i mean english as to learn English as a German is not that difficult. And I mean, as a, like a German seeing Italian, French, or Spanish, it kind of all makes sense. But they're like Russian or Turkish also. I've got a lot of Turkish kids in school. It's it's hell of diff difficult and I hate butchering their names. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not based in Latin, you know, which most yeah. you know, European and you know, languages, English, all that stuff. And I, I just remember the first time I went to Eastern Europe with uh, our, our, our common acquaintance. I'm not going to call him a friend. Uh, Burned Borman. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the I on that the first time I ever went to Eastern Europe, like the further east we were going, uh, you know, you can make out the names of things like, you, you know, in France, yeah. and Germany, whatever. Once you get into like the Czech Republic and Poland, 
yeah. uh, things start getting real sketchy as far as like trying to make heads or tails of any of the like road signs or, you know, like stop, you know, you know, like that's, that's like, um, you can, if you know a little bit about other languages, you can see a stop sign and know what it is. But when you go to Poland, it's like that sign could be like the name of the town, a stop sign, uh, yield, like the toilets are located over here. You have no idea what the hell it is. Yeah. Even, even worse when you go to Finland, because Finland has no other language. I think Hungarian a bit. But the Finnish language is so insane because they just they they don't like if you say I am hungry, they just make one word and add suffix, prefix and infixes to it and make the word longer to say a whole sentence. And they use a lot of umlauts and a lot of whys. And when I was there, I didn't understand anything like no word whatsoever made any sense to me. I think the Finnish language has has a lot more in common with um with Asian languages, because um, I believe the ancient Sumerians actually uh, <laughs> migrated through, like that's kind of like where the Sumerians ended up. If I might be wrong about that, but I know that there is like a, a more of like a Asiatic like influence up in, in that part of Scandinavia. Yeah. I don't know, little side there. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a bunch of people involved in this movie whose names are, uh, brutally uh beyond my level of understanding to um to pronounce but i'm gonna you know should i i think i might go ahead and at least go through some of the main people so apologies once again to any any of you eastern european or russian people out there we have uh oksana akinshana as uh tatiana yuriev kill kilomova she's like i guess you could say the the main protagonist in this film yeah she is uh, we got Fyodor uh, ben, ben, Bandarshuk as uh, Colonel Samiradov, who, um, you know, he's like the, the bad guy, I guess, in this film. Uh, Pyotr Fyodorov as Konstantin, who's the, um, well, we'll get into who he is, actually. Yeah. Uh, Anton Vas- Vasiliev as Jan Rigel. And then uh, that's kind of uh, the main players in this film, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty much it's these three plus this one sidekick. Yeah, but these three are pretty much everything the movie needs. So. All right, so um, <clears throat> this movie takes place in the '80s during the, the height of the Cold War. Uh, there's uh, these two cosmonauts uh, out in orbit, in uh, and out in in space, obviously, and. Uh, it opens up with their guy singing this really, uh, what I find a slightly eerie song about, uh, you know, it just, it sets the tone for the movie, which has a recurring sort of theme throughout, throughout the film. Um, upon reentry, they, there's, you see this tentacle and right away I'm like, right on outer space tentacles, um, you know, Russian people, astronauts, that kind of thing. And uh, and then the next scene is there's a um, they're recovering the uh, the two cosmonauts. So we learn that one of the one of the cosmonauts died, and the other one, Konstantin, uh, has a passenger, hence or companion, hence the title of the movie Sputnik. Yeah, but we don't get to know this straight away. 
So yeah. it, it's it's a it's a slower build up, but that's the pretty much the interesting part about this movie. Yes. Yeah. One of the things I really enjoyed about this film is uh, the way it looked. You know, it just yes. had had the, you know everything was like this muted, uh, a lot of gray. Um, it just had this oppressive feel to it, which I found that interesting because in the United States. Uh, you know, we like to portray Russia or the Soviet Union or the former Soviet Union countries as having this like oppressive, bland vibe to the film. I mean, to the you know they 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 portray that you know in, in movies, and it, it, I always thought that might have been a little bit of like a um, propaganda you know sort of thing. But this movie was made by Russian people, so it kind of confirms yes. some of the paranoia and oppressive feelings that are shown in American films. Yes. And also like the, the, the idea of this cosmonaut bringing back this companion. And, uh, it's also like kind of what the, the Soviet people in the, in the cold war must have felt like, you know, like this fear inside and you can't tell, yeah, you, you can't voice your opinion because you will be, you will be, uh, treated as like, a. I don't know, like a cheat or something. And so it, it, it all adds up very much. And I really like about it, like you mentioned, the atmosphere, the bleak look it has. But it's also like it's shot in like a, I, I researched it. It's, it's shot inside a bioorganic chemistry company and an institute for that. And um, it has this brutalist Soviet architecture all along. Like everything looks heavy already. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder so, what it's like to live in a, in a scenario like that. Because I got, yeah, you know, I've been to Eastern Europe. I've never been to Russia, but um, you know, I've been to like Warsaw and all these like you know places in Poland and Czech Republic, which is different. I, I recognize that. Yes, but there is. I I wonder what it's like to just have this architecture around you that is just meant to break your will. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just it's it's perfect for the whole claustrophobic aspect because both movies are claustrophobic in a way but in a totally different setting and it's just like it's it's more like may way more oppressive maybe the sputnik one yeah so we uh we learn uh that tatiana dr uh killer klimova is um kind of like uh I would say operates outside the rules sometimes uh has like a maverick side to her we observe her in a hearing uh, because you know she applied some extreme techniques to get results and uh, that's what attracts um, the colonel to her because uh, you know she, he reaches out to her this very severe Russian guy shows up and drafts her to become a, um, a physician to help out uh, Konstantin who is the surviving cosmonaut from the space mission and uh you know yes. he, he likes her because she doesn't play by the rules you know she she steps outside the boundaries of uh of what's acceptable and that right that's a, a kind of like a transgressive thing if you think about it like especially in the context of uh, of the russian setting you know i mean my, yes. my impression and and what's confirmed by some of the some of the stuff in the film is that rules and staying staying within your lane are very big things in in their society 
you know, where, you know, you have to do, you know, you're this person and that's all you do. We got rules. So everything associated with the treatment of Constantin is, is kind of um, very sketchy in the way that they're outside the rules in a lot of ways. And, and they're, if you fail, I imagine if you bring attention and we later, later find out that there are these like very heavy consequences for stepping outside the rules. Yeah. And she's, uh, the, the cool thing is, which, which is like, uh, under like underlining topic of this movie is that she, she, she is willing to break the rules to help an individual. That's the, that's the hearing she has. She helped, she helped someone like who's being like, they thought he has like psychological problems and her diagnosis was that it's the mother's fault and she made these whatever treatment methods work she did to help this individual. And in the end, she's the one who's tried to help uh, Constantine. And in, because the, the general goal, and that's like, again, typical Cold War thing, everything is for, everything is for the state, for, for the country. And, and Constantine is not like being treated as the individual he is, but what he carries. But she's interested in the person, Constantine, and tries to help him. Yeah, and I think I'd like to read more about the, the writer because that's, um, I mean, obviously this film was written in the 21st century, but uh, I, my, my impressions of uh, Russia and the former Soviet Union is that the individual still is not really valued the way the state is valued. Yes, correct. Yeah. You know, that also might just be my, uh, you know, Western, you know, propaganda laced vision of of what that part of the world is like so i don't know yeah but it's it's it, i mean here in germany we're at the ddr and it was kind of the same thing like this communist uh, approach that everything is for the greater good of the country and i mean if you if you watch russia to this day like they play it that way it's not to some degree so now we um we meet Con Constantine. I guess that's how we'll pronounce his name. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, he's like this kind of cocky. Uh, it, you know what I find interesting is like how, how like uh, being a cosmonaut, cosmonaut, he's like almost like a celebrity, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that was the case really. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, he has this kind of vibe of like a rock star or something or, or like a sports figure or something, you know? Yeah. And he's, he's, he's being held against his will in, like, to, to do research on him, and he doesn't really know why. He's just like, okay, I have no chance of escaping, so I'll just like, accept the way it is. But then he's like, I'm the guy that flew to space, and like, you, you have to treat me with respect. So that's like this rock star image. I got the same vibe, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and so then uh, Tatiana goes in and does an analysis to him. Um, you know, this kind of subtle, I guess, in examination and concludes that he has PTSD. Uh, and then it's revealed to us that he's carrying an alien inside of his body. And uh, yes, that's like, that's, that's the thing I knew about this film going into it, is that it was about some sort of uh, alien passenger, like, you know, and that, that's what piqued my interest about the film, because obviously, you know, there's all these other precedents, like the movie Alien, you know, yes. and I was kind of expecting that kind of, um, you know, film, and, you know, and, and uh, 
I, you know, that, that's that's a reasonable assumption to make. But um, what what it is, it's actually a little bit different. Um, the alien has this uh, actually kind of like a symbiotic relationship with Constantine, yes. where yeah. the alien it's he's actually they're they're almost melding their consciousness you know and and the uh he, he doesn't he's not aware of when it leaves his body and that's actually uh the, the first time that happens it's like pretty pretty like you know like jarring the way it exits its body you know yes and and that's the that's the interesting part about it because at first it's more like a parasite so you know it lives in inside of constantine and it breaks out every night between 2 and 3 a.m. And uh, it's, 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 it doesn't damage his body when it leaves it. But if it's actually like proper sized, it's, it's uh, I don't know, like in, in, the, in the American scale, but it's one meter 50. So it's actually pretty, pretty tall for living inside the body of a human being. And uh, they found out that it's like this, this toxin inside of him that can make his body shrink and also like grow so it gets outside and then it has this weird form and that's that's was the first time i was a bit disappointed with the movie was like because when it exited this body i thought like oh okay it kind of looks like the aliens from independence day um to a degree but then i was like ah no that's bullshit it's just smaller but it again has like a, a kind of a human form so it has a head it has long arms it has like a upper body and so i'm like uh okay i i kind of want to see more aliens that don't look human in a way well that that's actually the thing i i agree with you about about that i was a little bit disappointed in the design of the alien too um you know it's it's all well number one it's all cgi which you know these days i understand um you know doing something like that with practical effects practical effects would be you know kind of difficult and expensive i imagine and People don't want to see that, I guess, anymore. But yeah, the alien design, I thought if, if it was going to be that type of thing, probably wouldn't have like a humanoid form, you know? Yes. And um, yeah, it, it would just be this, like, I imagine also that if that's how those aliens operate, that they would have to change their form and adapt to the different type of hosts that they have, you know? Yeah, I mean, and if there was like a that, non-humanoid host, they would. Why would they have a humanoid form? You know. Yes. Right. And so that's like a, like a short thing, like a small thing that turned me off a bit. But in the end, the the whole movie in itself works because I think the cool thing is that this is not a classic trapped inside, like trapped in space kind of thing. But this thing is on Earth, and you kind of already knew like. Like when I watch this movie and if you watch a bunch of movies and let's assume that most people hearing this podcast are nerds like we are and you kind of like, OK, it's Russian. It's a Russian astronaut being like in captivity. He has an alien side of him. I guess what the Russians have in mind with the creature. So then it's like the fear inside of us in, in the Cold War, Cold War, we need weapons. And of course, they try to weaponize the alien. Yeah, yeah definitely. And that's, you know, that, that's kind of like, uh, I, I, even in the United States, I think if that would have happened, they would, the first thing that comes to mind is how can we weaponize this thing, you know? Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, the colonel um, is also kind of at a, a, like a dead end with what to do, you know, and, and he even admits to Tatiana that he's sending false reports back to Moscow. Um, you know, he's kind of making stuff up so that they don't just send a, a death squad out there to kill this thing and kill Constantine. Yeah. You know, which is like another another big deviation that might yield heavy consequences in uh, you know for someone who's disobeying orders yes right which we see later on in the assistant that helps in the in the breakout which we will come to in a bit yeah but the cool thing like before that is like probably worth acknowledging is that what we talked about earlier that tatiana is like focused on the individual and not on the bigger good of the country she kind of like she, she doesn't fall in love with 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 Constantine, but they're flirting and they're getting along, and she she feels like she needs to help him because he's captive, and pretty much he knows once they know how to deal with the alien, how to use it, he will be obsolete and will be probably get rid of, and uh, so she talks to him, she reveals what's actually happening to him, and then there's this scene. Um, like these scenes where she snucks, sneaks, sneaks out, and she they see what they actually do at night with the alien. You yeah, wanna, and that, you want to go and, into that? Oh yeah, totally. And that and that kind of um, like eradicates the the idea that the alien is a parasite because he's not. The alien is not like what they originally presented to her was. You know, her first question was like, well, "How does this thing get nourishment? Like what?" Where does the nutrition come from? And, and the first thing they said was like, oh, well, it just it eats what he eats, what, what Constantine eats. And that's actually not the case at all. They're actually uh, providing uh, human you know, people to like this thing to destroy and eat. And uh, what I found interesting about that, which is like, I don't know how I feel about this part, but, um, you know, the the uh, there's this whole thing where where the the alien has to, you know, it's important that the victim sees him so that, you know, it's, um, it has to be afraid. And the action, the alien feeds on, um, on cortisol, mm. which I, I find to be too specific for an extraterrestrial, you know, being to feed on cortisol. You know what I mean? That just seems yeah, like that, yeah. that was a little bit of like, a, okay, well, you know, maybe some producer got involved. We have to make this thing more evil. So we want to, yeah. you know, the, the, the victims have to be scared and all this sort of stuff. You know, it's more it's more likely that, you know, they, they mentioned that it was a carbon-based form, that it's more likely that it would need the same things, you know, like uh, any other carbon-based life form where, you know, protein, carbohydrates, you know, hydration, like stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And then like she at first, like she sneaks there and she sees it and she's totally grossed out and, and tries to like she tells she tells Constantine she tries to confront Colonel Colonel. And um, then he invites her back to like an actual feasting. And then there's like a bit of the the philosoph philosophical discussion in there because she's like you're feeding them humans and he's like but they're all criminals that have like all these charges so it's kind of like the dexter narrative like only kill the bad guys and he presents that as like a viable solution it's like we're no we don't feed them anyone we just feed like people that don't deserve to live anymore 
which again in in the bigger like bigger pictures like we don't need people like this in our country so we will feed them to the alien yeah and then the, in, yeah i found that uh you know once again it's like the dehumanizing uh nature of uh of these uh draconian sort of governmental systems you know yeah yeah, and and then the the second time, like the the colonel invites her, and then she like they throw two victims into this cage, and then she enters it because she has an idea and she has a feeling that it's not like it's not like a parasite, but it's more like a, just a symbiosis. But they also share their consciousness in a way, the alien and Constantine. And then there's one of the big climax, climax scenes is when the alien starts growing in front of her and doesn't attack because he recognizes her. And Constantine already has a, like, a feeling of comfort around her. You know, you know what, what idea like popped into my head uh, was that in the beginning of the film, right, we see... A, this creature on the outside of the spaceship we get like you know they, there's a hint of a creature they show like a tentacle you know yeah now what i was starting to think about was like if that creature just injected some kind of zygote into constantine and not you know what i mean and the, the thing yeah. grew inside of him as yeah. a, as a symbiote and um, it seems more and more, I mean, I, I kind of, that's how I'm seeing it. Not not like the creature that was on the outside of the spaceship, like, put itself inside of him. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, it was a similar, yeah. similar to, like, what the Alien film does. They inject something into the person, and yes. they, they grow this, uh, another alien. And that would explain why they kind of share a consciousness, you know? Yes, yeah. So yeah, that's that's weird, but that's a question we will probably never get an answer to. But it's like with these movies, it's just okay. So just take it. But is it cool enough to can I stick around? And the movie in itself is cool enough to just like okay, this might be a plot hole in a way, but it's still a fucking cool. And um, yeah, so once once she sees that it has this conscious then she tr decides to break constantine out of the facility which then ends up being like this bit of like an action phase because the rest of the movie is pretty slow paced yeah very very quiet unfortunately one of the aspects i didn't really like is the score the score is way too bombastic for like something that should be really subtle and nuanced and more disturbing in a way but then it like then it goes to like the last twenty minutes, which has a bit more action to it. Like I, honestly, the last I, I kind of I could have done without the action, to be honest. Yes, you know what I mean. I Same think here. that uh, the yeah. movie set up such a heavy tone that the resolution yeah. of this whole thing could have been handled differently. I think, but you know, it, it's a minor. It, it's still cool. Like it's still a good. Yeah. It still didn't ruin it for me. But that's just a yeah. commentary, I guess. Yeah, and I think there's also not that much more that needs to be said about the plot. Like the end, it is interesting how they solve it, um, what the end is like. Um, and I mean, we gave out a bunch of spoilers already, but um, it's still worth watching. But yeah, there's nothing super dramatic happening in the end, to my feeling. I don't know. How do you see it? No, you kind of saw it coming. You kind of knew that Constantine was doomed. <laughs> 
you know, from the beginning, really. <laughs> um, and you knew that eventually this thing, you know, this, this alien would, would, you know, be dealt with. And that's pretty much how everything resolves. Uh, the, the other thing that, that I thought was unnecessary um, in the film was, uh, you know, Constantine was like a, had, a, had a, a son, okay, that was like in an orphanage. And the whole, that whole sub, subplot with, it felt forced to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah, um, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little forced, really. And it adds like a dimension that I don't think you really needed in the movie. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm a big Edgar Allan Poe fan, yeah. and the cool thing about Poe is that he his his uh, approach to writing literature was leave out everything that is not a hundred percent necessary. So that's why he left out sometimes even names that people are just called N or L or something like this. Right. And it's the same here. It feels forced. I mean, they they actually try to make something. I don't know if you if you like saw that, but you always see these cutaways where there's this kid in the wheelchair in an orphanage, and you hear Constantine talking about his son being in an orphanage. And at first you think like, okay, so this is his son in an orphanage. Then Tatiana, the good person that she is, she tells him, whatever happens to you, I will go and adopt your kid. And then there's this last cutaway where you see again the kid stepping out of the wheelchair like there's a car coming to the orphanage the kid is getting up and the the nurse saying oh good for you boy you can finally leave and and then the kid says i'm not a boy yeah. i'm a girl and my name is tatiana and it's like oh okay and that like when you pay close attention i saw that the second time around when she 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 goes jogging around the around the facilities and she takes a shower and there's a shot of her naked and you see her back and he has she has this gigantic scar across her spine right so th that's maybe because she was a paraplegic and now can walk and then in the end she finds the son and adopts him so that was yeah kind of lame yeah i think that whole that whole part was totally unnecessary you know and yeah. and like I don't know. I just think, like, I agree with you. Like the the Poe approach to things, where you just have the essence of the story and these extraneous things, they don't really advance the plot. Like even even her um, promise made to him, oh, I'm going to adopt her. Who cares? We don't need that. It's like, uh, yeah, you know, that's that's uh, unnecessary. You know, and yeah, maybe the, just. Yeah, maybe just to understand why uh, the alien doesn't attack her because, you know, like Constantine thinks, oh, she's she's nice. She's helping me and she will take care of my kid. I don't know. Maybe that, that was the idea or something. Yeah, I, it's, you know, that, that's, uh, I would, I wish they would have spent more time uh, developing, like, you know, explaining like that, the yeah. alien, you know, like that would have been more interesting to me. But And I, I would have taken the 65 minute version of this movie. Like just you know, just the basics. Yeah. No action at the end. Just this. Explore this a bit more. But I don't know. Like studios maybe say no. We need to have because there's also this. Okay, is Tatiana and Constantine are they falling for each other? No one needs that. It's just clear that Tatiana wants to help him and Constantine needs help. End of story. Exactly. You know, and, and if this movie was American, I can expect I expect them to have all this extraneous fluff in there with the kid and you know. Like yeah. if, if it was an American movie, they would have fallen in love and they were, you know, and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Things that are unnecessary. To, yeah. 20 years later, everybody is at spring break together. <laughs> yeah. The kid, the alien. 
the alien, <laughs> the, <laughs> the alien's got like a you know, like j- like shorts on and stuff. <laughs> Hawaii shirt, yeah. flannel. But uh, yeah, dude. I mean, this is like I think the last few minutes we like kind of like don't don't badmouth the movie. It's actually a pretty cool movie. Yeah. So it's definitely like something to watch and rewatch. So I don't know. Should we go to the score? Yeah, let's give it a score. Um, you know what? I'll, I'll go ahead. I guess uh, I give it a four, yeah. a solid four. Yeah, me too. Totally. It's it's really worthwhile. People should watch it. It's definitely underrated. Could have been done a bit better, but it's still a really fascinating and good movie. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. Um, you know, I've I've seen it twice. I'll probably see it again. It's a movie that I'll you know now that it's I know that it's on Hulu. I'll probably th- put it on and you know, when I feel like watching a film like this. And uh, I also really enjoy the fact that it was made by Russians, you know, about Russia, yes. about a period in, in time that, you know, there was uh, the Cold War, you know, there's that element yeah. to it. You know, I find that interesting. But, yeah, it's um, also, sorry. No, I was going to, go ahead, you go ahead. I wasn't really going to yeah. say anything. So it, the funny thing is like, I also, when I did some research about the movies, it just made a total of $323,000 worldwide but in comparison to the other movie we're going to talk about it has like a 6.4 rating on imdb but it has an 88 percent rating on tomato uh, tomatoes which is really high so it's a popular movie there and i can see why people have mixed feelings and why this movie has so many fans yeah yeah oh, so definitely. but it's just it's like again it's a russian movie made by a russian oh so it just made uh three hundred thousand. In comparison to the the 100 million worldwide that life made, I, th- I think it's also fake news. I think that there's a conspiracy yeah. that they're not telling us the truth, really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's some there's like uh, the deep state is trying to like uh, hide that fact from us. So you you, you mean the, the they tried to vaccinate the alien and that's why it's not popular? That's yeah. why we didn't see it. Uh, there was a Q drop about uh, this film. <laughs> That, that it's not real, that uh, a good movie has good actors in it. That's the cue drop that I read. So, anyway. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll move on. So next on our agenda is uh, the American film Life, which um, that came out a couple of years ago. Let's see. 2017. Yeah. March 18th, 2017. It was uh, premiered at South by Southwest. Um, and then March 24th, 2017, it had a U.S. theatrical release. This movie also is a bit on the long side, clocking in at 104 minutes. Uh, directed by Daniel Espinoza, who um, he's a Swede, by the way, um, who's al- also is directing the Morbius film. I don't know if you knew about that. Oh, oh no, I didn't know that because like Life was the last movie he did before. Like, so yeah. there has been, it's been no uh, cool. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, me too. Morbius is uh, one of my you know one of my uh, go to characters. Actually, I really uh, you know from Marvel comics there was those horror, horror edged. 
comics that came out with Blade and Morbius and all that. And, you know, Morbius has appeared in Spider-Man. And he's a, he's a cool character, I thought. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Written by uh, Rhett Reese, who had something, some involvement with the Zombieland movie. And uh, Paul Wernick, who uh, was involved with uh, Deadpool, which uh, might explain uh, one of the characters, uh, actors that they had in here. Yes. And this film was also distributed by Sony. Yes. But it's also like he, he, did, a, um, he did a movie called uh, Light Safe House in 2014, like a B-level action movie with um, Denzel Washington and also Ryan Reynolds. So that's how it all comes together. Pretty good cast of um, very familiar faces from a lot of people. Yes. We got uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as uh, Dr. David Jordan. Rebecca Ferguson as Dr. Miranda North. Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool, <laughs> as uh, Rory Adams. He's an engineer, too, by the way, in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, Hiroyuki Sanada as Sho Mirakami. Ariane B- Bakari as Dr. Hugh Derry. And, and Olga. Now here we go again. Here we go. Another, <laughs> you know. Olga. D- Diovishnaya <laughs> as Ekaterina Golovkina. You know, huh. I always like that name, Ekaterina. Yeah, yeah. There's I, Russian names are pretty cool, man. I, I, you know, I like I said, I work with a lot of you know Russian people, and I, I, their names sound cool, in my opinion. Yeah, Katarina is also a pretty typical German name, but I've never heard Ekaterina. Yeah. There was a lady that. Um, she used to go to the same uh, kickboxing gym that I went to train at for a while, and, and her name was Ekaterina, Russian, okay. Russian, you know, just badass, like, you know, like someone who would just, like, kick you in the head, and very, very rough, very tough woman, but a great, yeah. you know, nice, nice lady, but uh, yeah. excellent. Cool. I always thought her name was cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good cast and of familiar faces. Like uh, you know most of most of them. Like Rebecca Ferguson, she's famous for Ilsa Faust in the Mission Impossible franchise. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal, by that time, dude, he had a streak. Yeah. Like two, th- like I mean, forever. Like for most people, he's always will be Donnie Darko. Oh yeah. But but then like 2013, he did Prisoners, one of the best movies I've ever seen. I love that one. Enemy, 2013, Nightcrawler, 2014, Southpaw, 2015, and then this one, 2017. That was pretty good, yeah. What, what's cool about Southpaw and, and uh, Nightcrawler is that Gyllenhaal is kind of outside of what you would, you know, his, his type, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. You know, he gets typecast as this, you know, nice guy, um, you know, uncomfortable sort of dude. But uh, but in in Nightcrawler, he's like this very creepy, you know, evil yeah. guy. And in Southpaw, he plays a, a fighter, a boxer. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah. Kind of out of good the, actor. Yeah, really. Yeah. I thought you know, like um, diverse in a lot of ways. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the all the people we just mentioned, actually, it's kind of cool about this. Um, it really does have like a claustrophobic feel because basically this is the whole. This is it. This is the acting group right here. You know, yes. those, those six people. And that's the entire film was basically the six of them pitted against an alien. Yes. And it's, uh, 
it's incredible. Like when when we talk about this movie, it's like Ryan Reynolds must have been the guy with the biggest like money guarantee because he was fresh off of Deadpool. It came out the same year, or like a bit earlier, and he was hot like by that time. And he's the first guy to go in the movie. <laughs> I, I love when that happens, man. Yeah, it's like, wow, okay, good. Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> but, dude, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, did, did, where did you see that movie the first time? In cinema or, like, on a DVD or something? This, this film or, or Deadpool? Life, life, life. Oh. Um, I saw this uh, on, on, as a down, you know, like a streaming. Like, I, I rented it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because like for me, that's that's what I always like when 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 I tell people and I suggested this people uh, this movie to a bunch of people, I, I mean as much as you and I were like both people that go to cinemas alone if we want to see a movie, I, I assume that much from you. Like, oh yeah, too. like yeah. So like there's in Germany you have like these cinema days they call it like the days that are not super popular but they still need to like show the movies like it's mostly a Tuesday or or a Monday. And the movies are cheaper then. And I love to go alone. And sometimes you're just like, okay, so what's on? It's like, okay, I don't know. Reads, like, seems okay. It's just five bucks. Why not? Let's go. And I, I saw one movie called Law Abiding Citizen some, some years back, like with Gerald Butler in Denver, Washington. Had zero expectations, thought, okay, stupid action movie. And like, I left the movie and I was like thrilled how cool this fucking movie was. And with life, it was the same thing. Like, I saw the cast. It's like, okay, it's a space movie. It's like, okay, they try to be alien, and it will be okay. But I left the cinema, and I was like, that was a fucking ride, man. And and to this day, I really treasure this movie. I could see how seeing it in a theater would be really cool because there's a lot of you know cool visual stuff in it. There's like, you know, yes. you're inside a spaceship. There's like spacewalks. There's a lot of cool stuff. You know what I mean? Definitely. Definitely big budget in comparison to Sputnik. Yeah, yeah, which was you know very much still claustrophobic, but it's terrestrial. It takes place on on Earth in a building, basically. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the setting yeah. of this film is, um, you know, is that they they send up this uh, spaceship to um, to cap, you know, to get a space probe which had gone to to Mars, and uh, they have to pick up these soil samples. And, uh, you know, and it contains potentially uh, evidence of extraterrestrial life. So, um, you know, the, the probe is, uh, you know, it ends up at the International Space Station. Does that, does that, does that still exist, actually? The ISS? Yeah. That's, it's still out there, Okay. Yes. I wasn't sure about that. Okay. Yeah. 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 So they have this crew of people. They take these samples and they and analyze the specimens. Okay. And that's when we discover that there is the uh this group of cells or actually it's one cell yes it's one cell it's one yeah. cell of um of, of extraterrestrial life and that's when yeah. uh that's when things start getting interesting <laughs> yeah but the, the the cool thing is like when we when we go back like the way it starts when you see this movie and you instantaneously think like this is really well done so everything takes place in zero gravity so they put a lot of work into like making this look really good 
So um, if you like, I have the Blu-ray, and there's a bunch of making of stuff, and it's incredible how much work and thought went into how to make this zero gravity look more uh, like real. How the suits, like these these spacesuits, they're reconstructed from original spacesuits, so they are like 52 pounds they have to carry. And like the, the 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 director says, like everything we did was to make it as accurate as possible and as believable as possible. So that's also the way they approach the alien. So it's, it's the same thing that happens right now. We've got like spaceships gone to to Mars, take samples of the of the coil, and in the in hoping to see like if we can at some point live there or if there's like alien life. And that's exactly what happens. So it's very believable by this point. Yeah, that that also plays into this whole thing. That's really, um, you know, that this concept that Mars was at one point teeming with life, and uh, you know, in some remote past. And I, I'm always pretty fascinated by that. Even when I was a kid, yeah. I remember being a kid. Uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, John Carter of Mars. I don't know if you ever checked any of that stuff out. No. Um, yeah, it's like you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs. He wrote Tarzan. You know, John Carter of Mars. You know, he's like a pulpy, early 20th century writer. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, the, like looking at Mars as this kind of dead planet, it just, my, my imagination has always wondered, like, what, were there, like, you know, was there ever civilizations there that destroyed themselves? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. Or some natural disaster, or asteroids or whatever, you know, and, so yeah, that yeah. idea of colonizing Mars and terraforming it is always—it's always been something that's piqued my interest. Yeah, yeah, and that's also interesting because, like, later on when we find out like the way the alien operates and everything, it's like that they say, could it be that there was life on Mars, but this thing killed all of it? Yeah, and and that's adds another element of of desperation to the whole thing. Because as we've, yes. we've, we learned, this, uh, the nature of this... So now comparing this alien to the other alien from, from Sputnik, um, I like this alien more. <laughs> Just like yes. conceptually, this alien, I think, has... They put more, um, like a, more thought into it, it seems like. Yes, very much. They, they were super accurate when it come, came to this. So first off, it's, all, it's, uh, it's not a humanoid alien. That was like instantaneously got me. It's like, okay, cool. It doesn't have a human form. Did you watch that old, like the original Star Trek TV series back then? Or did you ever watch that? Oh, dude, that's like, I grew up on that. That's, you know, I love yeah. it. Yeah. There's one episode I had to research it. it called, it's called The Devil in the Dark, where they are like on a mining planet. And there is an alien, which is just like, it, it, it must be just a rug. They used with a bunch of ketchup, like from the looks of it, it's called Horta, and it's it's it pretty much looks like a scrambled egg meets Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs. So it's something that crawls on the floor and protects its eggs, which the miners take. And so, like this alien detects people, and I was so scared back then when I saw it as a kid because it didn't have a human form. It was just like this gulp on the floor and the same goes for something like the blob which is not a humanoid form and it's so much creepier in a way i i totally agree and i remember that episode you were talking about too um and also yeah. it's funny like 
I, I was talking about Blindsight, this book that I just finished reading, which has to do with uh, first contact uh, with yes. alien presence. And also what's even scarier about aliens is that they don't necessarily, might not necessarily have the same um, intellect. Like they might not necessarily look at consciousness the same way. Um, that book kind of touches on alien life being just this kind of network of neurological impulses that just react to things that don't actually have like uh, emotions or curiosity or they just have like a, a, a bunch of subroutines similar to uh, artificial intelligence or something like that. So there's like that kind of concept that it everything with an alien may be just this like like if or binary system of reactions you know and i yeah. think and that having finished reading that novel recently and watching this film again it played on that idea that there isn't there's no good or evil there's no uh you know uh, animosity there's just these subroutines and algorithms that drive this presence this you know this entity forward you know and that's yeah. kind of the feeling i got from this type of alien yes and it's it's the, the idea of like that's what the what uh you dairy the the one uh the one scientist says it's it's uh every cell is muscle and brain at the same time so it can learn it can react it can adapt and when Kelvin, that's what a kid on Earth names the alien, so they refer to it as Kelvin. Um, when he speaks about this, there's this one quote that I, I had to write down where Uderi says, it is just surviving. Life's very, life's very existence requires destruction. Kelvin doesn't hate us, but he has to kill us in order to survive. And that's like uh, when you compare it to later on in the movie when Miranda North, like the, the, the one of the survivors, says, I know that what I feel is not rational. It's not scientific. I feel hate. I feel pure fucking hate for that thing. That's so cool. And that's like a deeper layer of, yeah, it's, it, it's, an, it's a, a, na a natural thing. Like it's, its nature is to destroy, to survive. But we feel hate for what it does. Yeah, that also plays up on Ligotti's kind of idea about all like what our consciousness is too, where it's like it's just like another element of survival because like in order yeah. the, the the hatred that someone might feel is a self preservation instinct that needs to be uh, present for you know to do something extreme you know like to yeah. preserve your DNA so that it continues on and that's. I like how this movie plays with that. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. And the, the, the cool thing is when we, when we spoke, spoke about Sputnik and it was like, okay, of course, what do the Russians want to do or what would Americans do? Uh, weaponize it. In this case, uh, later in the, like some part in the movie, you see that Uderi is a paraplegic when like another crew member massages his legs and he has like these really thin, dried out legs. Yeah. And then he talks about that Kelvin may make stem cells obsolete. So, of course, they have, like, again, they see a purpose in it, like something they could use it for. But uh, in the end, it, it's it's better than the humans and more adaptable. Yeah. And I, I like this idea in this movie. And there, And like I said, man, there's, like, the idea that this, it's still isolated. Like, it still hasn't 
plant had planet fall yet like it hasn't actually gotten to the to the planet earth it's still yes you know up in space and and uh you know they're they don't have to um you know it's the earth is relatively safe with it orbiting around it okay and and yeah. unlike in in sputnik where it's too late they have to destroy the the alien otherwise who knows what would happen yeah and the, it's um with this one it's also that uh the um, I mean, we we, we could co go to the plot and uh, like to the actual story a bit, but like in the end, it's just like two people are pretty much surviving in a way, yeah. which is Miranda North, so Rebecca Ferguson and Jake Gyllenhaal's character uh, character David Jordan, and Ferguson then says like my my uh, objective here is the preservation of like of safety. And there was like these, they called it firewalls. So the first firewall went down and, and Kelvin succeeded. The second one too. The third is like to destroy the whole space station in order not to let it get to Earth. Because that she says like if, I, like, if I have to choose this thing entering Earth or us dying up here with it, then it's the latter. Yeah. And this is like how, how much of, of a fuck up this one cell like what kind of hell they like it gives these people on the space station. Well, yeah, I mean, and that really, like, when people think, you know, people are excited about UFOs these days, you know, all aliens contact, you know, all this stuff. It's like, can you imagine what the fuck that would really be like? You imagine if you oh, read, man. you saw like a video of like an alien spaceship hovering over Berlin or something like that, and it's yeah, like, yeah. all right, here we are, you know, what's up? You know, like, yeah, how frightening that would be. Of course, it and, is. And that's like with, um, you know, that even if it's a single cell, I would be terrified of, of making contact with it unless it was like yeah. very, very carefully analyzed and yeah. and uh, and evaluated. You know, as to what it actually is, because something like this might happen. You know, and it's also. And especially in, in today's environment, when I rewatch this again, it kind of plays on your fears of like the pande pandemics and a single yeah. cell like expanding and, you know, taking over and doing all the, you know, destroying life and all this other stuff. Yeah. And that's yeah, perfectly, yeah, perfectly example. Yeah. That's, it's, it's just scary. And that, that, I think that's what makes it even more scary than like this xenomorph kind of thing in aliens or in Sputnik. So this is, yeah, again, what the what the director said, it could be possible. So they have this one cell, and they they start changing um, the 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 atmosphere around it in like laboratory setting, and then all of a sudden this one cell comes to life and it starts growing. And at first it takes like some times, and it's just a really tiny network, and you can see it like on the laboratory glass on the floor. It kind of looks like a like a fungus, like a mold or something. And um, yeah, and then all of a sudden it starts making these 3D uh, tendrils kind of things and starts like exploring its surroundings. And then I, for me, that point was the point where I said like, okay, now now it's going down the drain because like this is, this is now it's starting and it will learn. And then well, when I saw this movie, I was like, okay, well, um, it, it did really learn. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we could trace the whole thing back to uh, Dr. Derry really fucking this whole thing up, really. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. And uh, yes, he just was so... Yeah. And, and I guess the fact that, you know, his legs, he had, you know, what, what some 
disease with his legs were, you know, uh, atrophied gives him motivation to be fascinated by the development of the alien. So yeah. that's playing on his, his, maybe his little bit of his mental weakness of curiosity. Yeah. But yeah. I would never put my hands in that fucking box, man. You know what I'm Dude. saying? Even with yeah. his gloves on, you know? Oh, man. Yeah, and then it's just, the cool thing is, like, when it first starts, it's just, like, one tendril, and then it just splits in two, and then he starts, like, touching it, and that's when, when all of a sudden, it's, uh, like, that's the first shocker, it uh, grabs the hand of Derry and starts breaking it in a really gruesome way, <clears throat> and there were, like, a bunch of these moments where you were really like, oh, shit, ouch. And but then, like once it leaves its cage and has the hand broken, it all of a sudden has five, uh, five tentacles. So it sees like the human hand has five, uh, five fingers. So now it has five tentacles. So it learns and sees, okay, these species they need five fingers. So maybe it's helpful if I have five fingers too. Yeah, I found that fascinating. You know. Yeah, it's the way the, the, the like the intelligence of this organism and how fast it learns and adapts is unbelievable. And this makes it even more scary. So, uh, yeah, Derry, uh, that, I, I had like a very visceral reaction to watching his hand getting slowly broken by this thing. Oh, man. And there, like, there are a bunch, like I said, a bunch of these scenes where, like, later on when it's attached to his leg and uh, he's still trying to protect it. So, yeah, so once it, once it, um, yeah, the, so Derry is the first kind of victim and gets his hand broken and his, his body shuts down. And then uh, Rory Adams, so Ryan Reynolds, tries to save him and, uh, well, gets trapped inside this room with the alien and he will fall the first victim to it. And from there on, it's kind of like, it's. Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of nods to the originators of this genre. And I, I, I found a bunch of them and I want to talk about them. I don't know if this is the right place right now. Yeah. But sure. it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. So, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm curious how many of them you found. So there, the, the first reference I had from one of my favorite movies of all times, and I think you also covered it on Necro, was... When um, Ryan Reynolds gets killed, the um, Kelvin enters his mouth and like kills him from the inside, and then he exits it, and then he's in zero gravity. And then you see a, hex a hexagon kind of window, and the body of of uh, Rory Adams is floating with his arms spread out in Jesus Christ pose yep. in front of that hexagon window. And it's exactly the same picture as in Event Horizon when Dr. Yes. Weir is in front of the window. It's like, I'm like, okay, cool. So this cannot be an accident. It's the same pose. It's the same kind of window. So I love that. I definitely you, picked did, up on that too because like Event, Event Horizon is like one of my favorite all-time movies. Yeah, man. Well, I really hope at some point they will find this lost footage and put it out. That would be amazing. Apparently, yeah. there, there was supposed to. I remember reading about a Blu-ray release, a new Blu-ray of Event Horizon, uh, yeah. which may I think Shout Factory is putting it out. Um, I'm hoping it has that footage. Oh man, like uh, let the, this this cutaway scenes just making like three minutes long. The hell scenes. Oh man, 
Yeah, so that that was the first one. I, no, the the very first one was um, when they they give like they bring the cell to life, and Rory Adams says, "This is some reanimator shit," and the other one says, "That's a very obscure reference, not for a nerd." <laughs> like, yeah, definitely, man. So that was like okay, cool. Um, I think um, when uh, when like once once it killed. Um, it killed uh, Rory Adams. It also kills the rat lab, or like I don't know, like maybe it was even before that. But there's a, a rat in a cage in a glass box, and then Calvin enters it and like kind of covers it and sucks it dry, and that's a reference to the blob because it looks the same way when the blob is around a person and sucks the skin away and the um, like. It's dry out skeleton afterwards, so I had that as a reference. And of course, there were a bunch of references to Alien. Oh yeah, well, the whole the whole film is definitely uh, yeah. You know, yeah, the Blob thing. Um, I acknowledge that, but um, I didn't really pick up on that. But yeah, totally cool. Yeah, this like later on, like I don't well, if we like okay, so they they fight they fight Kelvin and Kelvin adapts. And the the interesting thing with Calvin is that it doesn't uh, like it doesn't feast on humans necessarily, so it 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 absorbs um, what is cooling liquid or something, and then <clears throat> then when you see it, it's kind of like icy blue. Later on, it kills like a person and like absorbs the blood, and then it has like this red glow to it, which I thought was like interesting traits. Um, and yeah, well, like when later on, when they decide, <clears throat> so the last two survivors are, um, Rebecca Ferguson and Ryan Re uh, and Jake Gyllenhaal and their plan is, okay, we will use escape pods and one of us will go back to earth and tell about what happened. And the other one will take Kelvin and blow into deep space to, um, to get it away from earth as far as possible. Sounds and, like a um, sounds like a solid plan, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, that's that. That's I thought the ending was so fucking cool with this movie. So both of them, like the plan works. Gyllenhaal has Kelvin with him in his pod, and then there's this one scene where like Kelvin by that time has an almost Lovecraftian form. It has like a hat. It has two wings and has like these tentacles hanging underneath it. And he's he's entering that pod, and there's the scene where it opens the helmet, and he's he turns his face to the left side, his eyes closed to the camera, and the um, Kelvin is like approaching him, and it looks like in Alien Three when the the xenomorph like approaches Ripley when she has a sh shaven head. So I kind of like thought that was a nod to this. Yeah, and then of course this plan works out great, right, Mike? Of course not, man. You know there has to be. We wouldn't have like a you know a horrific apocalyptic ending if it wasn't for uh, you know for things to go well. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the one. But one thing about this film is like that whole mechanism of uh, the pod, like the escape ships. Um, I don't know, like that. The malfunction, I don't, you know, the the ability to pilot it, like that. That's the only thing that I found to be a little hokey, really. Yeah. Um, like the technical end of that. Like I think that they could have arrived at that, um, you know, conclusion, like a little differently. Like a little, I don't know. That felt 
Like they didn't put enough. The, the whole movie had a lot of thought and put into the technical. Yes. That was the one thing where it might have fallen off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like, not- yeah, it's like Gyllenhaal ends up landing on like the his plan of being shot into deep space ends up getting foiled because he can't. The the Calvin is prohibiting him from reaching like um a you know one of the the levers, you know, yeah. and so he ends up going to Earth and then um, Ferguson's uh, capsule malfunctions and then she ends up yeah. getting shot into outer space. Yeah. Now to me it seems like <laughs> it would be it I would imagine like you know maybe because I'm an engineer that the. You would have like more than one method, one more than one failsafe. Like if it loses power or something like that, it goes to this predetermined spot, like some sort of failsafe, you know? Yes. And that, with that in mind, I don't know, the whole thing of not being, you know, maybe he, I don't know, that, that whole thing fell apart to me. What I think would have been a cooler way to end the film is like, Gyllenhaal gets shot in a deep space, but another cell is on on Ferguson or with her or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that yeah. that to me would have been like a cooler ending, but that's just, yeah. you know, that's not what we got. I expected that something like an alien that you thought like okay, she made it, but then Kelvin is actually also or like a second Kelvin is in her pod. Yeah. Something like this. But um I I also think like because he's he's trying to reach that lever joystick kind of thing and then like he's like Calvin is breaking his hand and then all of a sudden like I mean it takes a while until you realize that it's upside down like that that she's the one being shot into space and then you just see that one scene of her like the 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 pot tumbling and she's screaming because she know like oh I'm fucked now yeah and and the pod of of Gyllenhaal and Again, I, I like this part. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you that they could have done it better from the technical perspective. But the the way it ends that okay, you see that pod like with his three parachutes, like landing in the ocean somewhere in Asia, I assume, because the fishermen look like Asian people. And um and you see you see them like approaching the boat, so like the pod is floating on, on the water. And um, you see, like, both two boats approaching, and the two fishermen look inside the pod because it has a window, why ever. <clears throat> and, and then you see inside something that looks like an alien spaceship, Look, you know, like when they are in uh, on, on planet LV426, I think, in Aliens. And um, it looks all like this sticky, sticky stuff. And you see Reynolds' face, like, looking to the windows, like, no, don't open the pod. And then you just see them open the pod, and that's pretty much the end. And uh, you know, like, okay, now it's on Earth and it survived. <clears throat> and then what it what it made special to me, and which which I like, what I said earlier, I love it when a movie starts at some point and has reference to it at the end. I don't know if you saw that, but like when they first show the the I don't know the proper term, but the laboratory class where it's still like this. 2d kind of mold thing yeah. they uh yeah it has like if you look on on like from from the top it has one like bigger part to the left one to the to the top and one in the middle like two to the left so it has like these three kind of clusters and a lot of like these veiny kind of things going to the center core and there's a bird's eye view of the pod in the ocean where like more boats approach 
with the two with the three parachutes and all the the cables that attach the parachutes which looks exactly like the, the like the laboratory glass huh i'm gonna have to take another look at that i didn't pick up on that at all yeah, and then it's just like, then it, you see like, okay, he says like, don't open it. They, the two of them open and you see like the bird's eye perspective, like the drone pretty much like it's supposed to be like a drone shot. And you see like more boats approaching and you think like, oh, fuck no. So like Kelvin gets fresh food instantly, uh, instantaneously. And then the movie fades out and the, the credits roll and it plays the song Spirit in the Sky. Yep. And at first I was like, why did they choose this fucking song? But then it's like, when I die and they lay me to rest, gonna go to the place that's best. When I lay me down to sleep, uh, to die, going up to the spirit in the in the sky. And it's just the opposite because death just rained down on them. <laughs> wow, that's uh, I I that's a cool analysis of that. Like I have to take another look at the um the arrangement of the capsule and the parachutes and all that that's that's something that slipped right by me yeah and, and it's because i was i'm always you know i'm a big fan of of movie scores and the way it's used and i thought like this song it's so weird that there's like no classical pop song or anything in this movie it has a good score it has a great balance of loud and quiet so there's these phases that are super loud there are phases where there's no sound at all and that's also a cool thing. Kelvin doesn't make a sound. It's an alien that doesn't scream, doesn't yell or anything. It's just quiet. It's a stealthy killer. And then in the end, it plays this, this 70s song. And I'm like, that's weird. So like, I thought, like, okay, crazy. So that's the lyrics. But then again, I read something that says, the music for the end titles begins with the song Spirit in the Sky. This was used during the live broadcast from the ill-fated Apollo 13 moon mission. Oh, my God. So, Really? A recreation of this broadcast along with this song was included in the film and of the same name. The irony is intentional as the song is about dying. Wow. And I was like, fuck, I love it. That's like, that makes it even more perfect. Man, that, that, that really adds a lot to, um, to this film for me than knowing that. Damn. Yeah, wow. and that's, that's, that's why it's like, I, I've seen it, I think, five to six times now. And, um, yeah, we talked about, like, scoring movies. And, and, dude, I, as I said, I went into the cinema back then, thought, well, this might be worthwhile two hours of my life. I ended up like, this is fucking cool. And I watched it again. And there's so many details. It's, it's so perfect. Like, yeah, there's these minor things like the technical stuff. But the rest of it, it's not a humanoid alien it's it's smart. All the characters are likable. There's no asshole. There's no Cutter Burke where you think like, yes, alien, please kill him. <laughs> there's there's no android. There's nothing. It's just these five people or six people, and um, you can sympathize with all of them. The one is being is becoming a dad, and everybody has like their their agenda, but they're nice people, and they all die, and it's just like it doesn't have a happy ending. And I like that too because most movies have happy endings, and this one doesn't. You know, I was I was just <coughs> assuming that the, um, that Sputnik would have a a, a like a negative ending. Just you know, you know, Russians are generally kind of bleak, so I figured the ending yes. would be as, equally as bleak. You know. Yeah. But hey, yeah, I I, um, I liked it better the second time around actually i've i've seen this twice and i enjoyed it more actually the second time believe it or not yeah 
That's like I, it grows, as I said, like six times now, five to six times down, and I want to I want to rewatch it right now. <laughs> yeah. So what do you what would you score this? Okay, so like it's my first time on Necro, so I don't want to throw out a five instantaneously. But and I think my since my favorite movie of all time is Aliens, so the second part in the franchise, uh-huh. and this would be, this would be a five point five when it comes to this. I would give it a four point five with a nod towards the five. I really fucking like this movie, and it's something people should see, uh, should watch, and something I will definitely rewatch a bunch of times in my life. Yeah, I had it down as a four point five too. Actually, you know, yeah. like I think the first time around I saw it, I wasn't as into it, but the second time watching it, I appreciated a lot more of the elements. And now that you told me about this other, you know, this connection with the um, with the score, I actually like it even more now. So I, I would probably like would have rated it higher than four point five, knowing that. Yeah. So yeah, at some point you will rewatch it, and now yeah. you have all these facts. And yeah, as I said, like the the score is is done really well. And then it's like, why is there a song in the end that doesn't make? Oh, it makes sense. It makes a hell of a lot of sense. Uh, just real quick, uh, the Shout Factory um, Event Horizon Blu-ray is out, and uh, I'm just I'll read through the bonus features on it. It's uh, okay. okay. Four 4K scan of the original camera negative. Reflecting on Hell, an interview with director Paul W.S. Anderson. Ghost Galleon, an interview with writer Philip Eisner. That could be cool. Organized Chaos, an interview with actress Kathleen Quinlan. She was also in Color Out of Space. Uh, Compassion in Space, an interview with actor Jack Noseworthy. The Doomed Captain, an interview with actor Peter Marinker. Space Cathedral. An interview with production designer Joseph Bennett. That could be cool. Oh, something something yeah. new. An interview with set director uh, Crispian Salas. Taking care of it. An interview production manager Dusty Simons. Reinforcements. Interview with second unit director Robin Vigian. Almost real. Interview with location manager Dec- Dec- Derek Harrington. Screams from the cosmos. An interview with sound designer, Campbell Askew. Then we got, uh, this is, those are all brand new that didn't appear on any other versions of this uh, shut film. Audio nice. commentary, there's audio commentary with the director. A making of Event Horizon, five-part documentary. Oh, man. Point of No Return, a four-part look at the filming of Event Horizon. Secrets, deleted and extended scenes with director's commentary. Now, oh, now I don't know. Yes. I don't know. Hope they, they're not clear as to what yeah. that actually is. So hopefully, it's what we we were hoping it's going to be. Oh you know, man! The, Still, the, like, there's so much stuff that needs to be seen, man. The unseen event horizon, the unfilmed and rescue scene, and conceptual art with director's commentary. So yeah, oh, it's man. a it's a jam packed, and actually, oh. uh, now that it's been released. Um, they cut the price to $28.43 for the Blu-ray. Oh, man. I, I really need to get a regional code free Blu-ray player again because, of course, no one here in Europe will release it in this way, uh, except maybe Arrow catches on and has an idea for this. 
But like, aside from this, German or European Blu-rays mostly suck because they they tend to just be the movie and maybe an interview or something. But these cool box sets like Anchor Bay or stuff like this, you don't get it here. And of course, your Blu-rays don't play on our Blu-ray players here. That's so fucked up, man. That's so stupid. Yeah. I hate that. It's yeah, man. It's just, especially in the times of the internet, it's it's incredibly stupid. But yeah, so like in the end, like you can get Blu-ray players that are code free. And so I'll get one for a hundred bucks and then I'll I'll order the DVD for like, the Blu-ray from the States at some point because that's a must have. I mean, I've got a fucking tattoo of this movie, so oh, that's how much I love it. <laughs> one of, it's one of my favorites, man. Like I, I um you know, like I said, I'm I, I like I'm not as into science fiction as I'm into horror, but this is like a, yeah. a, a sci-fi horror. Yes, yes, yes. You know, it's all this going to hell and uh, just everything about it is great, man. Yeah, it's it's such an underrated gem of the like it's it's so 90s and still so good. But it has like one of the best B movie character like actors of all time. And um, it's yeah, fucking great movie. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's scary, too. Like first time I saw it, it was um, it was it really was unsettling to me at least. Yeah, I remember back um, back when it came out in the '90s. I was living at this house with these, uh, you know, these guys, and we we rented it from Blockbuster and never returned the video. So we just like uh, you know never returned. <laughs> we kept the videotape <laughs> and just it was at the house. Oh man, <laughs> you could do shit was... like that back then, you know? Yeah, I remember these times. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks, Ralph. It was awesome, man. It's good to have you on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad I could join you on Necro. So uh, let's plan on doing that that uh, Golden Glove episode. I, I'm going to watch it this weekend. Like I said, there's uh, I have a pretty open schedule this weekend, and I'm going to try to catch up on a bunch of stuff. Yeah, let, let me know when you're game, and I'll re-watch it before that again, and uh, we can talk about it. Sure, sure thing, man. I would love to do that. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Take care.
Black love.